Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Do I sound scratchy? Uh, no. Okay. No, I think it sounds okay. Okay. All I right. think I sound a little, a little rough. I don't know why. Uh, Everything is so rough. Sorry. That's that's quite all right. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast made 100 times more awesome by the simple addition of one guest. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comic books from cover date June 1990 until November 2004, with the, as always, a special emphasis on the characters of Kyle Rayner and today's special, well, not really special, obvious, uh, you know, character, Mr. Guy if you're Gardner. about Guy, it's always special. It is always special. And for those of you who are surprised that uh, there's actually another voice on the podcast, I have someone special here today with me. He is the co-host of the awesome podcast, Better in the Dark. He and Derek Ferguson uh, do that. He's also the host of DJ Cosmic's Cavalcade, a podcast that covers, well, the Silver Age comics with a sort of modern viewpoint. Uh, in that he does Teen Titans, he does what uh, um, Green Lantern, and he also does a lot of stuff with like the Phantom Stranger and yeah. stuff like that. Every October, yes, we do one Phantom Stranger and one Man Thing. And he's also the purveyor of the website. Uh, let me get this right. Damn your eyes, damn your ears. Yep. Is that the right order? Which yep. is a uh, website that does ten statements about various things, anything from the uh, sort of asylum horror movies from the 1970s to uh doctor who episodes which i've just been loving just recently you finished covering uh you did robots of death which was like yeah the first leela episodes yeah uh, what was did... the second one it was the one yeah. right after she was introduced yeah and uh what what's the one after that that you, co- uh, you just I covered covered horror fang rock and i just oh, yes. started writing underworld Oh, I've those... got the DVD right here. It's interesting because you can track why Louise Jamison only lasted a little bit over a year on the show. Yeah, because I loved her character as uh, in in Robots of Death. I thought that was great, but I guess you know my memory's kind of fading of it, and I mm-hmm. guess she kind of went downhill. But if let me, it's not her that went downhill. It's the writing for the character that went yeah. downhill. By the time you get to Underworld, which is her her penultimate story. 
she's basically a child being written as if she's just a, a really dumb kid. Which is really disappointing because she started out as a very interesting and intelligent warrior character. And see, that's the thing that I thought I loved about the character in the Hinchcliffe in the, the first couple of episodes, which were which were produced by Philip Hinchcliffe, was that the reason the Doctor took her was because she was the smartest person in the room in a world where nobody real you know valued or recognized or cared about intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he saw a way to, by exposing her to the wider world of the cosmos, to make her into this great person she had the potential of being. Yeah. The, se- the second that Hinchcliffe left and Graham Williams took over, Williams had no interest in the character. And you can see almost from that first Horror Fang Rock, which was his first story, that he was reducing Leela's character to the point where I imagine Louise Jameson was like, I don't want to play this guy, this person anymore. Can I leave at the end of the season? Exactly. But, you know, unfortunately, this isn't a Doctor Who podcast. And unfortunately, I... You'd have to have Shag for that. Yeah, well, he... Actually, I'd kind of like to have Shag on it, but he's doing his, you know, Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. He's doing what else? Uh, He's doing a podcast about... About the who's who. Yeah, the who's who. But, uh... I didn't even finish my introduction of my special guest, <laughs> the awesome Mr. Thomas DJ. Thank you, Thomas, for coming on. And uh, today we're going to be discussing uh, a few issues about, oh, a little character that, you know, is near and dear to both of our hearts. Mr. We're like the Guy only Clark. two people in the world who love this character with as much aplomb as um, we I'm certain there are people out there. I've had people write in and you know mm-hmm. say that they really enjoy him, but yeah, I think we are probably the ones that you know carry the torch, especially for him on the internet. There, you know, uh, in my in my travels along the internet and talks to people, people are like eh, Guy Gardner. You know, he's an interesting character, but most of the time he's a complete jerk. That's because unfortunately, so many writers don't get him exactly. The way I like to describe Guy Gardner is he's like the John Amos character in Die Hard 2. Exactly. Where there's one point where Bruce Willis says to John Amos, I'm sorry for calling you an an asshole earlier. And John Amos says, oh, no, I'm an asshole. I just happen to be your kind of asshole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Guy is crass and he's unsophisticated. And he has no internal editor. (laughs) But he has a real code of honor. He will stand up for you if he believes you're right. Mm-hmm. He does the right thing, even though he struggles with it. Yes. And he rises above what we learn later on when he has his own series. Was a terrible, horrible childhood exactly. to try to be an example for other people. Exactly, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss out on in the fact that the Guy Gardner solo series really wasn't embraced by the whole Green Lantern uh, continuity, and the Guy Gardner solo series really fleshes out the character and gives you insight into him and allows you to understand why he is such an amazing character because specifically of the things that you said that he went through, which, you know, I'm going to be getting to here in a while because I think uh, I'm just a few weeks uh, coming up from cover date where it'll sync up with the Green Lantern comics, so I'll start doing this. I mean, 
even before that, when he was first introduced by Gardner Fox, what was he doing with his life? He was a social worker. Mm -hmm. he, was a, he was a teacher. These are the things that, that he did prior to almost getting the ring. Yeah. So and he's always been... This is the thing I think a lot of people overlook when they look... Because they look at the JLI stuff. Yes. Which, of course, the brilliance of the JLI stuff was that it was the comic book equivalent of a workplace comedy. Mm-hmm. With, you know, people... Guy happened to be the jerk in that book. Yes. And people thought that was all there was to the character. Well, and even to defend the JLI stuff, yeah. there were moments in there in the JLI stuff where Guy Gardner truly, you know, was when he, especially you know, in his dealings sometimes with ICE, yeah. that he truly was shown to be a caring and decent person. It was just he had to sort of always put on this air of machismo because he, because of whatever insecurities they had or whatever feelings of. Uh, you know, self-doubt that he had a lot yeah, of it probably bought on his Yeah, particular J.M.D. Mateus obviously loved the character mm -hmm. and cared about the character. I think the thing was is what they were what De Mateus was trying to prove, trying to portray with Guy during that run was a guy who wanted to do the right thing but didn't have the social tools. Yeah, and that got lost in all the wahaha. Yeah, well, and I, I, I you know, and unfortunately. I like that. I like the fact that they had a, a superhero team that could tackle the big issues that actually had sometimes, you know, could deal with the world, uh, you know, the world invasion type problems, but they also could take it a little less seriously. Yeah. It didn't always have to be the, uh, the big dramatic, you know, uh, Michael Bay, uh, ridiculousness they could have fun with it and that's something i think that's sorely missing in comics nowadays and yeah. I, I i would like to see more jli stuff in today's comics and i definitely like to see more stuff like what we're going to be getting today in well, the, the three issue guy gardner thing the brilliance of the jli book was that the humor was pretty much usually def confined solely to the workplace Mm -hmm. to the embassies and to some of the satellite things, when they were actually in the field, when they had punched the clock and went into the field, they were a scary fighting team. Exactly. When, when they had to go, when they had to, when they had to, you know, to borrow a line from the other, you know, team, when they had yeah. to assemble, right. they were ready to go out and kick some ass. When they had, when they were hanging around at the embassy it was jokes and laughs and Booster and Beetle getting in trouble. and What crazy get-rich-quick scheme do Booster and Beetle have this week? Exactly. But unfortunately, this isn't a JLI podcast. We're going to be talking this time about the three-issue prestige format series, Guy Gardner Reborn. So I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break here. We're going to throw in a promo. And once we get back, we'll start with book one of Guy Gardner Reborn. 2010, the summer of fun. 2011, the summer of great, great men. And now, 2012 brings the summer of speed. Coming to Better in the Dark. Betterinthedarksite.com and Earth2.net. Better in the Dark. Eat our dust. 
And we're back. So let's go ahead and start in on our coverage of the first book of Guy Gardner Reborn. Guy Gardner Reborn, book one, was released on or about May 12th of 1992 with a cover price of $4.95 US, $5.95 Canada, and unfortunately I guess this wasn't available in the UK because there's no UK price. Remember back when $5 got you a big, basically a little paperback book? Yeah. Oh, as now, opposed to just twenty pages. Yeah. Now five five dollars will get you you know a bunch of Brian Michael Bendis and something you can read in five minutes on the crapper. But uh, we said we weren't going to digress. We'll go ahead and go back to this. Writer here was Gerard Jones. The penciler was Joe Staten. Inker was Joseph Rubenstein. The colorist was Digital Chameleon. Letterer was Albert Guzman, and the editor was Kevin Dooley. The story opens in space as our narrator tells the, tells the tale of a once great Green Lantern. As the scene zooms in onto New York City, we see the narrator is none other than the one true Green Lantern, Guy Gardner. And he's busy keeping the scum off the streets by beating the ever-living crap out of criminals like... Blackhand. <laughs> Who is many years away from eating his mother. Yes, or blowing his brains out with a, you know, big laser beam thing but uh, I, 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 I just would love to know what the people who worship at the altar of Jeff Johns would make you said his name he's going to come for us <laughs> you have to say it three times to be looking in America that's true <laughs> okay. of the portrayal of Blackhand in this book uh, yeah well, well we'll get to that uh, continuing on with my synopsis, uh, smashing through his quote-unquote adult establishment, Guy has Black Hand and his men on the ropes, until one of the goons notices that Guy is without his power ring and wangs him on the head, knocking him out. Luckily for Guy, a patron wants to partake of some of the establishment's services, can you hear the quotations, yes. and Black Hand simply has Guy thrown out into the gutter. Bruised and battered, Guy awakens to a visage of an angel. Oh, wait, no, I mean a hooker, who Guy recounts his recent events to. He tells her about his fight with Hal for the right to be Green Lantern of Earth, and how he lost graciously and gave up the ring. He recounts his dealings with the League and General Glory, who don't take him seriously. He even tells her about his attempt to recruit the new Guardians, including Tom... Kalamaku, into a team of heroes with him as their leader. But all these attempts to regain his former glory lead to nothing but failure. The quote-unquote working girl tells Guy if he really wants to take some people down, he needs to get some guns. Guy dismisses the thought at first, but after some encouragement from Hootie McBoobledge, I mean, not that kind of encouragement, this is still a comic book, Guy decides to ammo up and take on crime as... The Gardener. I'm pausing here for any hysterical laughter people might want to be using over Guy's costume. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Amazingly, the gun route seems to be working out for Guy, and he handily, see what I did there, yes. takes out Blackhand and his porn-peddling partners in crime. But Guy has bigger fish to fry, namely Goldface. His search leads him west to Las Vegas, where he eventually takes on the gold-armored villain. The bullets aren't penetrating Goldface's armor, but they are slowing, his, slowing him down as Guy plugs round after round into him. 
but soon Goldface's men break in and Guy is forced to pull out the big weaponry, which it turns out isn't easy as easy to fire as Burt Lancaster or Jesse Ventura made it look to be. Outgunned, Guy makes a hasty retreat into the Nevada desert, where, as luck would have it, his Suzuki samurai breaks down as well. Crestfallen with the situation, Guy hitches a ride with a trucker on his way to Salt Lake City and passes out on the way there. While sleeping, he dreams of Sinestro and the Cordian Weaponers, and how they were able to design the ring that could be the answer to all of his troubles. However, when Guy informs the driver of his revelation, he promptly kicks him out of his cab. Stranded again, Guy reaches his arms to the sky, pleading for God to send him a miracle, a guardian angel, something. And, like magic, the sky lights up and a chorus from the heavens breaks the silence of the desert. Sadly, it isn't a guardian angel, but Nort. Seeing an opportunity, Guy asks Nort to ring him up a rocket so he can fly to Oa to have the guardians give Nort a sector of his own. The trusting terrier rings him up a ship, and Guy blasts off. Realizing that if he gets to the stranded weaponers that he left on the Poglachi homeworld, he could possibly find a way to get to Quard and Sinestro's power ring. But without any weapons or muscle, it would be a tough mission. However, Guy has the perfect person in mind to help him out. Crashing into a small planetoid, Guy steps out of the ring construct ship and calls out for the person he's been looking for. Sadly, the person he's been looking for was Lobo, and what Lobo was looking for was a fight. <laughs> so there... That, that, that whole, you've just summed up Lobo's entire character in like two sentences. Yeah. He's, he's you know, just looking for a fight. And yeah, Lobo is a very, you know, uh, all of this stuff here is embracing the tropes of the 1990s. Oh, God, yes. I mean, the ridiculous um, use of guns, having Lobo in your comic. If if you were a DC comic in the 90s and in some way, you know, an aspect of it, uh, you weren't getting sales. So, but... Uh, Hello and welcome to your new title. Here is your prerequisite gold sticker first issue. Mm-hmm. Thing, and here is your Lobo appearance. Oh, and uh, hologram foil card. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yes, okay. Um, let's see. I, w- I wanted to ask, you know, you are a denizen of New York City. Yes. Through here. Uh, is this two-page spread here, uh, you know, is that in any way typical of what West 42nd Street would be, you know, like pre-Giuliani? Um, well, this is during the Giuliani era. Oh, really? This uh, came out during the Giuliani era. Ger- Giuliani was the uh, the mayor through the 90s. Oh, okay. So, even at this point, I'm trying to remember when... What was the publication date of this? Uh, I've got March of 92. This was already well on its way to going away. Okay. The uh, This is more a reflection of 42nd Street circa the 70s. Okay. And the uh, and like the middle eighties when it was like that, where it was like a wild frontier town. Yeah. Well, and 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 guy would be most suited to that, you know, as he's yeah. going into to instead of ring construct people, he's trying to go in and beat up people. Like, of course, what? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, 
I guess credit where credit's due, the he who shall not be named did decide to take a character like this and turn him into the Avatar of Death. I mean, that's quite a 180. Give him that. I, okay, okay, okay. Well, since we, we've evoked his name, <laughs> one of the big problems I have with him is the fact that nobody can be just, like, a bank robber anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, just a regular, ordinary criminal. They have to be this hardened killer. I mean, look at what he did with the uh, the rogues. Yes. Over during his his, uh, his flash run in the, in the late 90s, in the, the aughts. It's... There's no variety. I don't think there's any variety anymore in the villains. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of like badasses who kill people. Yeah, and they don't need to be. I mean, Black Hand is essentially in this book. He's a businessman. Yeah. You know, granted, you know the business is you know porn, mm-hmm. but you know he's trying to do something legitimate, which you know maybe shady and kind of you know underworldly, but it's not you know going out and slicing people's throats or, you know, digging into graves and canoodling around with, you know, decomposing bodies. Graves <laughs> of his family. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, I, it's 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 kind of sad that, you know, they realize that Guy's no threat to them, you know, since he doesn't have the ring, and they just clobber him and throw him out into the gutter. So and then we get the... Uh, scene of him talking to the very stereotypical you know you know 80s slash 90s hooker with the big hair uh, boob window and the the power girl boob window which is and this is the one thing that i wanted to get to was guy trying to bring himself back and trying to find any way to come back even so much as trying to recruit well, before before we get into the, the, the gales of laughter, that's about to cause. Okay. The one thing I want to point out here is where he does the recounting of Green Lantern 25. Yes. And the thing I like is the way that Gerard Jones makes it sound like he's he's resenting that he did the right thing, but you know that he's not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He he knew that he lost Ferenc. He knew it was. His pride that brought him down. And he gave up the ring, not really willingly. I mean, he, well, no, he did give it up willingly. Yeah. It was just, he, this was the thing that made him. This is the thing that defined him. And for him having to give that up. Pretty much from the moment he woke up from that coma. Yeah. And for for him to give that up, that's like giving up your life's dream. And how much that hurt him. You know, is is evidence was evidence in that issue and is evidenced here, and you can tell that he's broken up because of this, and you know, of course, because he's broken up and he desires to have any sort of power to come back, he's willing to do almost anything to try get his former glory, including trying to recruit the new guardians. Oh my lord, the new guardians! The new guardians, if you didn't know, at least in here are. Harbinger, Gloss, Ram, Extraño, the Floronic Man, and Tom Palmacu. Now, uh, go ahead and tell them what the names are that that Guy gives. Them. Okay. 
to quote. Ah, hell, there's six weirdos on this island. That's all. I don't even remember their names. Metal Bob, Cleavage Lass, Circuit Board Man, Earring Boy, Veggie Man. <laughs> the thing is, is that if there, is there anything more pointlessly, you know, late 80s, early 90s than the New Guardians? They're, they're so, they're so, you know, just completely irrelevant. Yeah. That even Wikipedia has much of an information, you know, information on them. They've got more on them. They have to be the wolf pack from Marvel to be more irrelevant. Yes. Oh, Lord. And and they're so irrelevant that I think they even left out a few characters. Uh, one of them, uh, I, the, the, this I had to get from Wikipedia, they left out a character named Jet. Oh, God, yes, the, the, the African-American, the, well, the African woman. Yeah, who who uh, you know they say on Wikipedia was bitten by the hemoglobin, not hemoglobin, but the hemoglobin, who is a vampire with AIDS. Not just a vampire with AIDS, a super vampire with AIDS. <laughs> uh, Should we just do a very brief explanation of what how these characters just ended up here? Yes, please. The New Guardians were characters that were spun out of Millennium, the quote-unquote sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths. That was anything but a sequel or special Mm -hmm. or a major event. And I remember getting to the end of Millennium when it came out and realizing that all of this running around and fighting Manhunters was all so they can introduce a bunch of new dumb characters Mm -hmm. and wanting to throw the book halfway across the the room. Well, if if these characters are examples of the characters that they wanted to create, Mm -hmm. they were scraping the bottle of the barrel. I mean, yes, they brought in Harbinger, but after Crisis, you know, and the, the Monitor's gone, I mean, what purpose does really she really serve the only character from crisis that had any sort of a shelf life after crisis was lady quark Mm -hmm. what did pariah do he kind of like found some lonely planetoid somewhere to mope i guess for yeah well that's i I hate to say it that's all he kind of did throughout well that's true yeah he was he was emo boy it's so sad that these universes but this isn't a crisis on internet podcast Um, it's not a new guardians podcast otherwise it would be a very short-lived one (laughs) i think they might even have actually fewer listeners than i do so that's uh, the thing is that they, they did try to put out a new Guardians ongoing, but I think mm-hmm. that at that point, even the editors at DC realized how little interest there was in these characters. Mm-hmm. So I think it only lasted about a year and change. Oh yeah, the the only character aside from you know Harbinger and uh, you know Tom Kalamaku that I know is the Floronic Man. The right. only reason I know him is because of his uh, you know his run in. In Swamp Thing, the right. like the second or third issue that Alan Moore did on that run, mm-hmm. where he basically changed the whole the what is it the the whole uh, concept the of the anatomy, character the yeah the the anatomy lesson I think that's yeah. what it's called where he changed Swamp Thing. But other than that, these characters are completely throwaway, and you know, I extraneo. <laughs> kind of you know, I'm I'm certain this was probably retcon, but. You know he's he's in league with Alan Scott right now. If you know what I mean. Oh, oh and, and Extrano, 
I, we've said in Better in the Dark many times, if you draw attention to problems with your plot in the story, that's not clever, that's just being stupid, because then everybody's going to go start looking for more. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the New Guardians where they were supposed to uh, issue forth from their loins the next genetic step in humanity. And there's an early issue of the New Guardians where Extrano points out since... You know, I'm flaming. I'm not just gay. I'm flaming. Mm-hmm. Gay. I make I made uh, Liberace blush with how gay I am. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be gi- giving birth to any children anytime soon. Yeah. Well, that's that's probably for the best, actually. Yes. Um. And outside of Tom Kalamako, I think these guys all stayed on their island and probably well, died off somewhere. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll bring them back in the new Fifty Two, and they'll have you know tremendous amounts of coverage. You'll notice that there never was that that, that there wasn't a zombie gloss in Blackest Night. <laughs> you know, I, I will have to. You know, I didn't collect everything, so I may have to go look for. Her. <laughs> um, going on in here, we get. Uh, one of the first mentions of uh, Guy's parents, you know, and, you know, it, we get sort of the seeding of, uh, the seeding of, you know, Guy didn't really have a good childhood, you know, which yeah. will be mentioned later on. So I thought that was kind of neat. And then, of course, we finally get the full-page spread of the gardener. <laughs> there. Sadly, this is the uniform he's wearing for the entire part oh, of the And, you know, I love Staten's art, yeah. but, the, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a good image of Guy, but it's it's not the Guy that I remember. He Guy has obviously been doing a, a, a bunch of chin-ups and upper body work because, you know, I remember Staten's Guy being a, a, a leaner, more fit when in, this one he's muscled out all Rambo and he's he's got well, like I wonder if this is meant to be well I mean we know what it's meant to be but I wonder if, if Staten was using a specific pose like an iconic cover or something of the Punisher possibly because you know with the amount of ammo and you know weaponry he's got there he's obviously ready to sort of take on the Punisher and this also being a speaking about the Punisher uh, earlier in the book you know the uh the prostitute that Guy was talking to said that he should get guns like her man or that comic book character that he reads, yeah. the one who's a Vietnam vet who's always blowing away scum. Uh, got yes, it. the old days when Marvel and DC just gently poked each other. Oh, yeah. Instead of, you know, just out and out hating each other nowadays. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, of course, leads Guy to pick up the guns and basically scare the living crap out of black hand <laughs> as he's it. yeah <laughs> go I ahead i just love the fact that he's just kneeling there going like a proverb, a proverb. i need to find a proverb i gotta call my therapist <laughs> yes the the avatar of death is peeing his pants in front of guy gardner <laughs> at least it's a black uniform so nobody notices yeah that's true that helps and i also like the you know the fact and then the in the splash that the the uh, guy who came in wanting a yeah. Service is, is in the background there getting, you know, a, a massage, probably with a happy ending, but whatever. So does that mean that, that, that the non flashback portions of this book happen in like the course of a couple of hours? Uh, 
Who knows? Why not? Uh, let's see. Mo- moving on, we've got Guy and his quest to find Goldface, which which leads him to Carrie Limbo, which unfortunately... Oh, that's not Tim Curry? <laughs> no, it's, it's sadly it's not Tim Curry with a big splash of yellow through his hair. It is Carrie Limbo. And yeah, I'll admit... Uh, that's the one negative thing I have to say about Staten. Staten does not draw Carrie Limbo very well. She she looks very mannish here. Um, but you know, he heads out west to uh, find gold. I, I would be interested to know what the time frame, like how long this book took from conception to release. Hmm. Because if you look at a number of the, the pages, there seems to be a lot of kind of half acidry in the art. And I'm with you. I think Joe Staten is, is a great artist. Mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of actually telling him to his face at, at one of these uh, one of the shows that I've been at. But I th- there, there's a sense that I think that he was rushed a little bit at yeah. certain points. I, I, I will admit this this isn't as good as some of his art you know especially in the earlier Green Lantern books and especially like in the Guy and His Nort storyline the first three issues of that who's the, the anchor for Guy and His Nort no I mean who was the the anchor um oh let me see if I can pull that up uh, maybe I, it I, could I, also I, be just a clash between Rubenstein, him and Rubenstein it it could be yeah I, don't, I think uh, the anchor was uh see who's got it on my external hard drive so it's gonna okay this is fascinating podcasting i know i know i'm sorry i shouldn't have brought it no no it's just that i i I understand what you're saying about there there seems to be you look around like there are certain panels i'm looking at the the big fight scene between guy and the goons and there is a shot of guy that looks like it's barely sketched in yeah it's true I'm wondering if this was rushed a bit. It might have been. Uh, from what I'm getting, I think it was Romeo Tangal who did the okay. uh, inking back then, and maybe Rubenstein just isn't a good inker for... Because, yeah, yeah I think it was Tangal who did most of the inking throughout the early runs of Green Lantern. That could so, be it. Because, I mean, there, there's a definite... Because maybe they were pushing up the release date of the guy car... And, and, there are other issues that we'll get to when we get to the end of this journey. Oh yeah. But, uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, you know, I like the fact that when he does go after Goldface, you know, he he goes guns a blazing, and uh, he realizes that a lot of times in real world the physics of guns isn't like what it is in comic books, and he pulls out the big sort of uh, I don't know what the heck it is. I don't know what guns are, but it's like the the chain gun. Yeah, and the kickback on it just knocks guy out, and he's firing wildly. And you've also, you know, you've got the reality of that coupled with the obvious comic book nature of all these bullets flying around, yeah. and guy being in a midriff shirt and you know <laughs> leather pants, and not taking one bullet from anyone, or getting or getting burns from the casings yeah. hitting him. Oh yeah, no, it's. It's it's a it's a weird mix of you know reality and fantasy here, but it's it's fun nonetheless. I will admit though, I like the I have to give Goldface credit for coordinating his henchmen. 
Uh, if, if there's one thing that I've you know noticed about Goldface is he's a he's a, a, an effective organizer of crime. He may not be a great villain, but he's very organized at least. And he well, I think his not being a great villain started with the fact that he's named Goldface. <laughs> well, that makes him a great villain for like Green Lantern and no one else. <laughs> Uh, but he did fight the did fight the Flash at one point. Well, I I don't know how that worked out, but there it is. Um, just uh, just this is something that I can't stop noticing ever since. Oh, uh, I want to say Andrew Leyland brought it up. Uh, the guy who the trucker who picks up a guy has a uh, of course a baseball cap on that says Clint's Trucking, mm-hmm. and the word Clint is always one of those words that. <laughs> If the uh, letterist gets the L and the I right. too close together, it turns into a whole different word. I also right. had a thing going with that with a, a character recently in the Green Lantern series, Flicker, yeah. where if the L and the I got together too close, it came out as another word. Which I, I, I think, I actually think that uh, Gerard Jones made the characters name that just to kind of mess with people just to do that. I think he has that sort of sense yeah. of humor that he might have done that. But then, of course, we've got the introduction of Nort. Nort as the guardian angel of this story. And uh, I don't know about you, but I-, I enjoy Nort. I think he's a fun character, and he works well with Guy. You know, he's he, he, he's supposed to be there to temper Guy. I don't know what you think. I, well, I will say, first off, this is a character that I think works pretty much only when somebody like State draws him. Oh, yes. Somebody who has an understanding of cartooning as well as uh, as well as action art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's no one else. You know, when when other people have tried to draw Nort, he looks like a, a ripoff of Chewbacca from the old yeah. Star Wars comics. Th- this one looks like a lovable little dog. Well, a lovable. Big he looks like he walked like out of a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Oh yeah, and you know and, that, that 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 forgotten third season of the Galactic Guardians. You know when mm-hmm. all they get all the characters were replaced by animals. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's that's the great thing about Staten's art that it is cartoony enough that it, you it's got it's got elements of cartooniness and elements of realism in it. And uh, I really you know I agree you know Nort drawn by Staten is my favorite Nord. But, of course, you know, Guy has him ring-construct up a uh, spaceship. It's a giant fire hydrant with giant fire hydrants for engines, as, as Nord would want. And, of course, Guy, you know, I, I love the panel where Guy is giving a little scratch behind the ears. And Nord's just all tongue like, oh, oh, that's good. That's real good. Yeah, I, I I get the same thing with my dog, yeah. and then of course you know guy realizes you know no weapons, no muscle. You know I need to think this out. You know what would be the best person to go find to 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 help me on my interstellar quest to get the ring from Sinestro? Oh hey Lobo, what a good idea. Uh oh. <sighs> yeah. Uh, and here we come to what is, if there ever was a more quintessentially 90s mm-hmm. image, the cover did issue number two. Oh, yes. A guy in a muscle shirt and Lobo, surrounded by guns, getting ready to throw it out. Exactly. 
And, well, why don't we go ahead and I'll take a quick little break. I'll put a promo in here, okay. and then we will come back and we'll cover uh, Guy Gardner Reborn number two. So, we'll be right back. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green, Green Lantern's, Lantern's light. light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. And we're back. And so let's go ahead and take a look at book two of Guy Gardner Reborn. Uh, Guy Gardner Reborn book two was released on or about June 16th of 1992. Again, its cover price was four ninety five US and five ninety five Canada. Same guys as last time, Gerard Jones writer, penciler Joe Staten, Joseph Grubenstein Inker, colorist this time was Eric Kachelhofer, uh, letterer Albert de Guzman, and editor Kevin Dooley. As one could imagine, Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, occurs between Guy and Lobo. But before the last Cesarian can pop Guy's head off his body, Guy chokes that he wants him that he wants to hire him. Momentarily interested, Lobo listens to Guy's offer of fragging an entire planet in order to get the most powerful weapon in the universe. Lobo is intrigued, but wonders what Guy is getting out of it. Trying to hide the fact that he is looking for Sinestro's ring, Guy tells Lobo that he's out for revenge, which the main man wholly supports. Lobo tells Guy to get ready to go, but Guy asks if he could get a little fight training before they take on a planet of weapons. After a two-page training montage... Oh, okay, it's just... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's just Lobo beating the stuffing out of Guy. The duo hit... The duo head out to kick a little 40 and ass. But first they have to get the animatter universe itself and the two weaponers Guy left on the Poglachi planet are certain to have a way to get there. Grabbing weaponers, 
Guy and Lobo demand they get they tell them how to get to court. And after some persuasion, the weaponers say that they have a way to get back. The two pair break off to confer, and we learn of the weaponers' plans to be bring Cordian troops to the Matter Universe. Guy and Lobo return, informing the weaponers that they believe that they have a way to get them to court. And to show them their gratitude, they allow them to train with them in fighting tactics. Some time has passed, and Guy and Lobo sit by a fire with the two weaponers sleeping, more likely beaten into unconsciousness, and Guy comments on how rough Lobo went on them. Lobo asks Guy if he has a soft spot, and Guy replies he doesn't like beating on someone who's already beaten. And having enough of the Cesarean's machismo, Guy decides to take a walk. Underneath the Pogalachian sky, Guy wonders why he can't rid himself of his softness, why he can't get rid of the people who care about him. He feels that if he could stop caring, he could truly become the butt-kicker he ought to be. Looking up to the sky... Guy imagines what the core members would be saying about it. Kilowog would probably be concerned, while Brick would be glad he's gone, and John would say that we should never stop working about Guy. Ironically, on Oa, Kilowog, Brick, and John are saying exactly what Guy was thinking. But before they can further worry about the former GL, about the former GL, recruits Creon and Boudica come in arguing. That's not a Tim Curry? No. <laughs> no. Tim Curry is playing a lot in this book. Seeing that this fighting can only be resolved with some aerial maneuvers, Kilowog barks at the recruits to form up. Meanwhile, Brick asks John if the new recruits are good enough. John reassures Brick's Brick as he flies off to tend to the mosaic, and as he leaves, Brick catches a glimpse of something red. Oh, we don't know what the hell it is. <clears throat> Meanwhile, on the Pogwatchi planet, Lobo is doing some more convincing. Finally, the weaponer breaks and shows Guy and Lobo the ionic fun little taken between the universes. The crew sucked into the vortex as Lobo says that this is what you can get done when you don't have a soft spot. While the two are bickering, one of the weaponers pulls the thunderbolt and prepares to hurl it at Lobo. But the main man catches him before he can attack and prepares to do a little skull cracking. Then Guy steps in and kicks the weaponer out of the vortex, much to the main man's dismay. Repeating that Guy is a softie, Lobo grabs the other weaponer and breaks his neck as they finally reach their destination. At the destroyed throne room from issue 11. Guy and Lobo pull the You're All Under Arrest line from Gungadan and Fighty McFightstein, again copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, begins. Lobo easily mopping up the weaponers, and Guy tries to follow his lead, but he soon realizes that Lobo's fighting strategy is to fight like you've got brain. But as the cultists begin to breathe the flame from the giant Sinestro's mouth, <laughs> that if that ever Guy tries to use his brains and throws a couple of weaponer bolts at the idol, blowing to bits. Guy grabs Lobo, and the two make their way to the office of the chief weaponer. In set office, the chief is promoting a new weaponer to the head of the guard, mentioning that he is now second in command. Pulling a dagger from somewhere, I don't even want to think about it, the Master Thunderer prepares to climb up one rank, a la Star Trek uh, Mirror Mirror, when a weaponer enters, telling the two that they are under attack from Green Lantern, the one with the strange hair, 
and his beast. Although it doesn't seem as amusing last time. Obviously, they're thinking of Guy and his Nord story. The chief tells the Master Thunderer to delay his assassination attempt for later and to ready the troops. Back with our heroes, they burst into the building but encounter little resistance. Looking for the Master Builder, the two stumble across a lone prisoner. A hippie peace accordion who won't tell Guy and Lobo where the Master Builder is. Lobo, oddly, sees a kinship between him and the Cordian, as they were both flukes on their own planet. And because he feels so close to him, he instantly frags him to put him out of his misery. The two then head up to head up and break into the Master Builder's office, threatening him with the possibility of orifice widening. Nice. Being reasonable, the Master Builder submits to Guy's demands and answers his question about the ring. He says that there was only one maid, and it was lost with a great Sinestro. And with that, Guy realizes that the ring is still on Oa. Furious that he was led on a wild goose chase, Lobo is ready to break Guy in two, but the Master Builder says that he can transport them to Oa if Guy will give them the coordinate. Guy eagerly gives the info, and the Master Builder begins to teleport them to Oa. Unfortunately for Guy and Lobo, he's also teleported the United Arms of Corps or to destroy the Green Lantern Corps. Okay. There too. Otherwise known as Keep Dancing. Yeah, th- this is uh this is a pretty much stereotypical to use your term punchy punchy run run issue. Yes. Where it's basically the character is just getting into a fight and then moving on to the next scene and getting into another fight and moving on to the next scene. One one thing I will say is that State draws uh a uh, really good Lobo. Yeah. I, you know, he's he's big and he's very animalistic. Um, Once again, we're dealing with Staten's uh, understanding of cartooning mm-hmm. in the way that he's always drawing Lobo kind of hunched over like a beast, like an animal. Yes. Yeah. He, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, 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 it's a definite contrast to guys or you know, is humanoid, but we'll we'll notice it later on in the book. There are some, there, there will be some parallels between the look of Guy and the look of Lobo, especially at a certain point in the book. But you know, I I really like the look of Lobo in here. Uh, so, yeah, going to Lobo to learn how to fight mm-hmm. may not be the best thing for Guy. It's just basically getting his whole body cut up and slammed into a wall, and looks like groin and it's it's not looking pleasant for no and uh, let's see on the big the big one one page splash as guy and lobo travel through the void of space with you know thing no and no oxygen and anything like that and of course no pressure suit either uh, but but guy, guy is so excellent he doesn't need a pressure suit guy, he only needs a rebreather and yeah a stinky leather jacket, and it's okay. I mean, you know, coldness of space trailing behind uh, Lobo on his, you know, hot rod interstellar motorcycle. That's fine. Uh, we're reintroduced to the weaponers that Guy stranded on the uh, on the planet at the end of the Guinness Nort storyline, and, you know, I guess, you know, they had no... I, I don't know why they didn't call to get picked up, or whether this was part of the plan. But you know, whatever. It's 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 a it's a good 
I guess it's a good setup for the story. You know, it couldn't couldn't have happened unless they had a way to get back to it. Well, there is that exchange on one of the pages where they're saying, well, you can't use the emergency one if we use it for trivial reasons. Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll get us in trouble. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, another slam on Guy as the Cordians, you know, see him coming. And it's like, they're, they're yelling, run, run. It's the one who is not Hal Jordan. <laughs> you know, okay, you know, there's 3,599 uh, plus different Green Lanterns. Is Hal Jordan so special he's the only one anyone remembers? Well, to keep, keep well, keep in mind there was a there was a whole stretch of uh, Hal's book when he when the Green Lantern comic was first starting, where he was just basically kicking the asses of the Cordians on a regular basis. I'll give him that. Oh, it's Tuesday. It must be time for me to go to the Antimatter Universe and kick some more cord butt. Ah, true. Uh, in the middle of the book, uh, you know, I like the part where a guy walks off and thinks to himself, you know, it's it's this moment where you know he. He's becoming introspective, and he's realizing that being isolated and being uh, an ass-kicker doesn't necessarily work out for being a hero. And he wants to be a hero, but just by fighting isn't going to work for him. And he's he's trying here to find a different way, and he he's conflicted about it. He knows this is what he wants to do, but because the only thing that he knows how to do is fight, it isn't working out for him as much. This is, of course, his uh, I'll never I'll never go hungry again moment. It's next page, we get, you know, uh, and it, it does unfortunately look like Tim Curry and poor Boudica. What that, uh, you were, you're telling me, what the heck happened to her? She's now an Alpha Lantern? and She's now an Alpha Lantern, so she's a robot. So, had she... Was she murdered or something? Or I think well, it's the DC. It's the DC universe. Of course, she got murdered. Okay, probably if, you, if you're not carrying your own book, yeah, your fodder, <laughs> your 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 potential fodder. And uh, we get we get the the seeds of you know there's something wrong with John here with the pink energy being you know that we. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I see it now. It's just kind of back in the corner, and you know uh, it. It was nice seated, you know, earlier in the thing, but you know, it, it's for anyone who knows anything about what's going on, it's pretty much going to be obvious who this this person is going to be. Uh, I like I like the little time tube that the ends, yeah. you know, take the matter universe, but I just been so much cooler if Staten would have put in there, you know, just in the background like a little TARDIS spinning. <laughs> Or a, or a boom sound effect. That would have been cool too. Um, and also, yeah, we designed those. <laughs> uh, also, I like the fact that guy, rather than have Lobo kill the weaponer who tried to throw the thunderbolt at him, he kicks him out of the portal, basically trapping him in between dimensions. And guy says, you know, if it were up to me, pick death being stranded in another dimensions he knows which one he'd pick and it just goes to his character that he doesn't want to kill unless he has to so right. that's a that's a nice development of his character that we're seeing here then we get to the throne room where the giant the giant statue of sinestro that breathes fire 
because that's that's what Sinestro did. Yeah. Yes. I remember many many issues of the Silver Age Green Lantern comic where Sinestro breathed fire. That was pretty much common. That's how he that's how he defeated Green Lantern. Time. Which makes which make which makes uh, Kyle Rayner a much braver man, I guess. If all Corrigan Corriganians or whatever the heck they, they pronounce that can breathe fire. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't think that. Yeah, his little whoopee, you know, might, yes. might actually do that. That'd be. Here we also get uh, guy realizing that you know strength and just fighting like you don't have a brain doesn't really work for you unless you're ultra invincible like Lobo. So it's it's nice to see that guy has to use his brains to self out the situation and decides to destroy once again the uh, the statue of Sinestro that's breathing fire. Next page we get another great comedic bead in this book. The hippie accordion. Yes. Uh, love <laughs> And of course, he's being held in jail because he's he's not a violent killer and he doesn't want to destroy anything. He's a peaceful one. <laughs> he's also to a, a sort of one of the few moments in the book where Lobo isn't a giant punching a, machine. A punching machine. Lobo actually, in this one panel up here, has this look of disdain on his face and he's he realizes that this guy in some way has a kinship to him because he's the outcast on his planet. You know, Lobo was, you know, the only ass kicker on his planet of a pacifist. And this guy's the only pacifist on this planet of supposed ass kickers. And he realizes that, you know, they have something in common. So of course, what does he do to the person he has something in common with? He puts a boot for his face. I mean, this panel, you know, it's it's not it's not you know modern day graphic, but you know you see yeah. that shadow and you know lifting a boot up to where this guy's head was and giant explosion of blood. And then, Whereas in uh, modern day comics, we would actually see the boot going through the skull, sticking out the other side. Yeah, the guy slowly falling down his leg. Yeah, it. You, I, I've noticed. Comics from this time period, it wasn't that they weren't afraid to be graphic. It's just they didn't feel the need to show you the gore. Right. I've run to a couple issues where people have been decapitated, where people have had limbs cut off, and it never seemed gory. It was all done in silhouette, and it was all done sort of not really off panel, but you didn't see bones and you didn't see, you know, arteries shooting blood out fast. But that's not adult enough, says Dan DiDio. Maybe Dan DiDio doesn't know the difference between adult and mature. Yeah. This is, this can be mature and it, 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 it can show mature things, but it doesn't have to be gruesome, you know, and I, I, I prefer this, but. Well, I've always said that, you know, Dio likes to, you know, trumpet that he made the DC universe more adult, but it's a 14-year-old's conception of what adult means. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, this, to me, in restraint and its violence, yet having the violence in there shows more of an actual adult 
level of maturity than, you know, hat black hand using his weird rep weaponry to blow his brains out. But we're, we're not talking about Blackest Night or anything that you shall not be named. That's right. This is this is about Guy. This is about Guy. And, you know, unfortunately, Guy's desire to get the uh, ring leads him to a little bit of a, a mistake and, you know, not thinking it out that, you know, letting the head of the army, you know, teleport you to uh, shielded from their sensors or whatever and unfortunately he allows the entire army to teleport to Oa which I can't see working out very well for him Uh, what am I going to do now well I guess we're going to find out right we are going to take one last break and then we will be back here in just a minute with issue 3 of Guy Gardner Reborn so stay tuned Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes. Well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? And we are back. So let's go ahead and dive right into issue three of Guy Gardner Reborn. Guy Gardner. Cover which features a giant, basically grimacing match. Yes. Staring, you know. It's. It's, strangely enough, Sinestro is really close to Guy, but he's not breathing fire on him. I don't know why. <laughs> you figured that'd be his first move. You know, he doesn't have the ring. I mean, the ring's floating up in front of him. He might as well breathe fire on him. Guy isn't wearing, like, any flame suit. Oh, my gosh. I just realized the thing. Does that mean that, like, Kyle Rayner's into the weird stuff? Don't don't start, no. To, to, to draw the curtain back, you know, I he might be because I I don't have the entire run up to like 181 of the. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, look at look at his look at his, his girlfriend since Alexandra. Okay, he was hanging out with Donna Troy. Yes. Strong girl. Mm-hmm. Kick your ass. Definitely. And and then then he breaks up with Donna Troy. Then he starts hanging out with Jade. Mm-hmm. Green girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a living power ring. Mm-hmm. Green. And pretty much fashion anything out of anything. Then she takes up with the the daughter of this fire breathing mother. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I've never, you know, I've never specifically said that this is like a clean podcast. I've 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 clean episodes out there, but you know, I I try and shy away from. Okay. That. Let me let me do another take. <laughs> No, 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 I'll just leave that in there. I might bleep it out. Okay. But it's 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 cool, you know. I I don't think we need to go off on you know you know Tourette filled rants, 
Do you think maybe maybe there was there was something because I, I know remember that there were a couple of female members of the effigy corps. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. I'm sorry. Well, I'm a very weird weird place. I want to go away. Oh. Well, then let's go ahead and go back to to. You know, you've got uh, you've got Lobo on the cover because if it's a '90s comic and you want to have it sell, you need to have Lobo somewhere on the cover. And uh, we've got uh, a snoozing John Stewart in the background, or maybe he's dead. I don't know. I don't see anything impaling him, so he's probably just sleeping. But you know, uh, looks mighty fat. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying fat, F-A-T, not P-H-A-T. Well, and it, the the books are pretty hefty, too. I mean, they're they're definitely double-sized issues with no ads, so, you know, the four ninety five price is a bit high for this time period, but you, you get a lot of book here. Yeah. That's awesome, too. But uh, same group uh, doing this. Uh, the release date was July fourteenth of nineteen ninety two. Cover price was the same, four ninety five US and five ninety five Canada. Writer, penciler, and inker were the same, except this time Joseph Rubenstein had Jose Marzan Jr. to help him out on the inks. Colorist this time around was Digital Chameleon. Uh, Albert de Guzman and Kevin Dooley were a letterer and editor, respectively. Okay. The term out of the frying pan has never been as apt as Guy and Lobo try and stop waves upon waves of invading Cordians exiting the portal to Oa. The Master Weaponer rallies the troops until the floaty head guardian appears and tells the invaders to get the hell off my lawn. The Cordians respire by firing anti wind energy at the floaty head. What, whatever that is. <laughs> Sorry. Thinking they'd like to take a whack at the little blue guys, Lobo gets distracted in the battle, allowing Guy the chance to sneak off and grab the ring. But the main man isn't that slow, and he grabs Guy, asking why he's sneaking out on him. Distracted, the two get hit by a thrown thunderbolt as the master weaponer tells his army to chain the beast and kill the human. Lobo easily takes on the throngs of enemies, but Guy's overwhelmed. Wondering why he didn't use his last seconds to think up of some clever dying quip, Guy steals himself for the end, when a sudden blast of green energy knocks the weaponers off it. Boudica, all Bene's boobs and thunder thighs, comes blasting in. Much to Guy's dismay, the weaponers begin to break ranks until the Master Thunderer tells them what happens to deserters. Uh, here's the end. They get stabbed in the chest. Yeah. But as more lanterns arrive, Boudica gets distracted by Rion's call to strategy and takes a bolt to the keister which is probably a, you know, target for her. <laughs> Wondering what happened to the Geo core that he knew, Guy tells Lobo that these Geos are all Jordan wannabes, but they need him, but they need them to help them get the ring. So with Lobo tearing into the weaponers, Guy calls out for the Green Lantern. Brick picks him up and accuses him of bringing the Cordians there. But Guy says he's stowed away with them, and he's the only one who knows how to beat them. Creon threatens to find Probe Guy, but Guy laughs as he anything the amateur ring slingers could do. But with Boudica being overwhelmed and the remaining lanterns, the remaining lanterns contact Kilowatt for answers. Kilowatt tells the trainees to call in every lantern and let Guy talk to the Guardians. And with that, Guy is beamed to the Guardian Citadel, much to the chagrin of Lobo. 
Landing there, Guy drops to the ground floor as a strange reddish energy follows it. Guy is tall and some admiration of Boudicca's undergarments. Guy heads up to the crypts or heads down to the crypts as the strange entity follows him. Topside, Landers aren't having much luck against the Cordians. John flies in just in time to rescue Tomar too, who tells him of Guy's plan. John is highly suspicious of Guy's intentions and leaves to find him. At the time, Guy has made it to the crypt where all the honored dead Green Lanterns are kept, even Sinestro. The prize is reached, Guy breathes a sigh of relief until he realizes that he has no way of opening the coffin. And just then, who shows up but John Stewart? John asks Guy why he's down there, and then he sees the yellow ring. Saying that a mind like Guy should never have that kind of power, John prepares to beam Guy out of the crypt until he's zapped the red energy that's been following Guy. John drops to the floor, struggling to free himself from the entity's control, but it's of no use. The possessed John fires a blast at the coffin, shattering it and sending shards of crystal into Guy. Pulling chunks of the coffin from his arm, Guy searches for the ring at the same time as John, who we now see has been possessed by the soul of Sinestro. There's no surprise there. The two wrestle for control of the ring, exerting all of their willpower. Sinestro taunts Guy, saying that he doesn't deserve it, that he never deserved anything, that he never had anything. Guy says he's right. He had nothing. Nothing that he didn't take. With his own pain, with his own guts, with his own strength... And with all the brains, experience, and control Sinestro had, the one thing that he doesn't have is his ring. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Oh, oh, you want me to do it? Oh, yes. Okay, the exact line, right? Remember, damn it, when you gotta do something, you gotta give it everything. No doubts, no softness, no nothing. Yes, sir. You got the experience. You got the brains, and you got the control. But I got one thing you ain't got. I got your ring. God, that's... That makes this book. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we've got... Outside, the Cordians are making their final assault on the Guardian Citadel. As it says, all is lost, and the Green Lantern is killed. A series of yellow constructs interrupt the battle, rescuing the Landerns and the Guardians. The master weaponer screams for his army to fight on, until the yellow construct cork flies into his mouth. He's taking it to the Cordians, and as they see the ring of their red overlord on the finger of the former lantern, they turn tail and head back for the portal. Guffawing that the trainees say, quote-unquote, they have them on the run, Lobo confronts Guy, saying that he welched on their deal. Guy counters, saying that Lobo was supposed to trash Cord and not Oa, so the deal is off. And as Guy flies off, Lobo swears that he'll be certain to settle his debt with Guy. You can imagine that probably didn't pay off at all, and we never have Lobo Never again. see Lobo again. Feeling he pro- ends up on the same island as the New Guardians. Oh, he's gonna... Oh, that would be a, such a sweet mashup, the New Guardians. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Tom could use his powers of peacenickus to help Lobo. Feeling proud of himself, 
guy looks to help get rid of the stragglers when he runs into a ring construct wall. Jungle restates that he's not letting him leave with the ring, even after he helps save the planet. Guy acquiesces and hands over the ring. <laughs> I say... No, 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 sorry, that's... He smacks John with a giant yellow bat, knocking him into the Guardian's meeting room. Saying, the greatest hero of all, Guy flies off, as John Guardians wonder what has been unleashed on this day. And in the final panel of the book, Guy flies off into space, saying that there's a new hero coming to town. The, and he's wearing jeans and cowboy boots. The one, the only, Guy Gardner. And, and obviously, uh, you know, he stopped by a nice happy to to get his new costume on. Yeah. That's, that's really nice that they have, you know, tailors there that can get him out of that awful drift shirt. <sighs> yeah, because th- those hot topics, they're everywhere. Yeah, you can't throw a dead squirrel and find out. <laughs> Is that a chip reference? I apologize. <laughs> I thought Chip was a chipmunk, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's not a squirrel. Yeah. That's right. Uh, this is this is great. Uh, I, I kind of uh, I kind of like that this came out. You know, I think this came out before the whole uh, Nightfall trilogy came out with Batman, where they decided to darken up Batman, put John Paul Valley, yeah, making him grim and gritty, and making him a killer, and you know, at Guano insane as well. You know the. Uh, I guess that's because we still get two years before the disaster that was Emerald Twilight. True. So we haven't got the gritty stuff, and I like the fact that Guy realizing that gritty doesn't always get things done. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of you know what happens in this. Nothing ages have been numbered, so we're just you know going through the book. Yeah. But I'm glad we finally have. The Guardian's floaty head. <laughs> I always love it when ends appear as a big floaty head over you and saying, Hey, knock it off, kids. That is always. No, I'm not going to say it. What? I'm not going to say it. Because I had this image now of like, you think the Guardians use that for less than, less than every purposes sometimes? Like you think, like sometimes when like Hal's giving it to Carol Ferris, they're just like like a big floaty head somewhere in the closet. Hey Hal, turn <laughs> it over. <laughs> no, no, smack that. <laughs> Jesus. Jeez, Guardians, just give me a minute. <laughs> kidding. Once again, we've gone to a weird place. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, when you mentioned that uh, Boudica looks like uh, Tim Curry, now I'm looking at it uh, more Rosie O'Donnell, you know. Oh. Eyes, holy cow. Stan did I just get the impression does not understand what she's supposed to be. And that's the one thing. And he's done such really attractive, you know, artistic renderings of women, you know, in his All-Star Squadron run, Power Girl looks amazing. And he draw he drew an amazing did an amazing job with her. But here Boudica just looks I mean she looks hideous. Yeah. I mean her thigh is almost as big as her her torso. It's creepy. Oh that one shot of her as she's coming in, it like 
I don't think the body twists that way. Yeah. Well, that's not uncommon in yeah, true. Modern comic book art. You, know, you the, just have to look at Ed. I like it a boobies Venice. That's what I mentioned. You know, uh, yeah. It's all. Yeah, how how can I get a, a, a an image where I can show a woman's butt and a woman's boob? Same. Oh, I'll get Venice to draw it. Yeah, there you go. Although uh, apparently he does a great great cats. Uh, uh, we, the Last Supper. The Last Supper. That that image is wonderful, and you know you've got the uh, the twelve lanterns that Hal's recruited, you know, and of course you know Hal is in the center as the as the Jesus role, and of course Guy is over there in the uh, Judas role, and we also have Brick who has the hots for Hal, and in the sort of he want to do the. Oh, what is it? Not the angels, and demons, but the Da Vinci Code thing, where she might be what Mary Magdalene. I guess yeah. I don't know. I I blocked that book and movie out of my. But yeah, it's a really good image, and the state does the replica. And of course, we've got weird lanterns as well. You know, I love, I love the weird ones like Larvox and Chaselon and you know uh, Tomar too. But then we got the mushroom Green Lantern. <laughs> Now you were telling me this is the one that, that, that her mind works so slowly that it takes like a, a week for her to get out of sentence? Uh, in, in the issue where Hal recruited her, she was trying to say hello, and it took her like five minutes just to say, nice to meet you. It was kind of funny because Hal said that he seemed mind and he saw things that would make you know a person go insane. And I thought to myself, yeah, what happens when you uh, get into mushrooms? Sure. Not that I really have any experience with that. This next page, we get Creon fine, you know, taking the most powerful weapon in the universe, Creon and an amateur Green Lantern, and taking the ring, the most powerful weapon in the universe, and pointing it at someone's head. But that used to be remember that, that used to be guys, Hal's uh, move a lot too in the gold in the Silver Age. But, you know, Hal was you know considered to be an ex, you know. There was, you didn't feel concerned that he might, oh, accidentally lobotomize someone. I mean, when you've got an amateur doing this, you know, you're kind of afraid that, you're afraid that it's going to explode a la yeah. scanners or something. So We need a real Cronenberg moment here, guys. Guy has, has to lie to Kilowog here. You know, at least he's, at least later in the book, he realizes that the lie was for a purpose, and he did like doing it. It wasn't, you know, it'd be another thing if he just lied openly about, you know, wanting to get to the ring and didn't feel some sort of remorse for lying to a person who always had his back. Right, you know, who always was his friend. But then, uh, once again, you look back at the JLI issues, where it was established that there was this friendship. Mm-hmm. And it's always been based a little bit on Guy being a little dece- deceitful with him. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that also comes from Kilowog not being naive, but mm-hmm. just not understanding, you know, human relationships that well and being trusting of Guy. So him being deceitful, you know, at least at least my opinion, uh, my opinion of it is that even though Guy's being deceitful, he's not deceitful in a malicious way. He feels remorse for it. So it would be it'd be one thing if he didn't feel remorse, I guess. Right. 
guy heads to the galley. I guess to the galley. Well, not the galley, but the cafeteria. Why are they? Why are there so many clothes? So much clothing, though, held up to dry there. Yeah, that was weird to me too. It's, supposedly, there's only twelve lanterns and okay, like eight or elsewhere. So yeah, there's a lot of clothing there. But of course, we get a shot of Boudicca's undergarments. Yes. It, that also some of the lanterns, like uh, or, uh, the mineral ones, like brick and ah, would actually need clothes. So right. But again, we get little strange, you know, fish energy being. We don't know what the heck that is. No one knows. It's a complete surprise. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's the shark, right? The, I, I was, I was putting my money on sonar. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a nice two-page, actually sort of half two-page splash of all the, uh, honored dead and the coffins down there, the little crystal coffins. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, I'm seeing... Ars Chumic and Metaphor, right. and it looks like that might be representation of Tomar Ray back there. And for some reason, Abzur is here as well. And yeah. I don't know, uh, did they... Because my thought in the continuity of this time was that Abzur was buried on Earth. Yeah. But, uh, I guess, you know, they went and dug him up to bring him up here. So, there you have it. And I... I don't know. There's this one. You know, there's one on the right hand side of the page in the little globe. That's some sort of gas entity, maybe. Yeah. This thing that kind of like I thought it was like some sort of sentient brain. Yeah, it does. It's weird, but you know that's that's one of the things that I like about the Green Lantern Corps is that some they don't have to be you know made mm. uh, lanterns. You know, I I was talking to someone about you know Larvox and how. Uh, that character is and you know, it's nice that some of the lanterns are these more alien things it gives a, a nice sort of sci-fi feel to the comic and to think it started out basically as a way to keep Gil Kane from being bored mm. giving him the, the permission to, to create just weird and crazy lanterns yeah but, well and uh, he, he did he did a good job yep. of you know uh, the Silver Age stuff you know there are some unique get some of the backstories or the uh not the main stories but the little backup stories in the book right the, the tales of the lantern core you get the really weird and alien green lanterns so that's cool but then of course you know we get a couple of pages in reveal of oh who's the who's the villain who's been controlling john all this time this red energy oh who could it be oh it's sinestro it's yeah. not hector hammond and, yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking maybe, uh, the, you know, uh, Doctor Polaris. Uh, I've been it, but no, it's it's Sinestro on Lena, and uh, the page where John uses his ring to to smash open the coffin. And again, here's another great example of violence and gore done well. It's done in silhouette, but you see. The, coffin break apart and all these shards of crystal or glass or whatever go flying everywhere and guy just take the front of it in fact so much that he has this piece of big ass shatter, shard there yeah embedded in his forearm that uh, <laughs> you know it's gotta i mean we've talked about this before 
there's a very good chance it might have hit nicked uh, an artery. Yeah, there's two main arteries that are running down your forearm there. Yeah. And the way it in, he's probably cut a lot of tendons, if not nicked an artery. Mm-hmm. You know, if not cut it, at least nicked one, because he's bleeding out pretty heavily there. And you look at the body language in the next couple of pages where he's kind of protecting that arm. That arm is hanging kind of dead. Yeah. Which also uh, creates a situation where Guy is sort of mimicking Lobo's stance we've seen throughout this whole miniseries. Mm-hmm. He's becoming a little more animalistic, a little more primal in defending, you know, basically defending his life. Yes. Well, especially here. And mm-hmm. it's, it's akin to what you were saying earlier, that when Guy needs do something when he needs to finally dig down and dig deep and get something done he does have to sort of tap into that animalistic side right doesn't mean he has to be that way all the time but when he when push shove he's willing to go that extra mile to dig down deep and get it done and it perfectly example this two-page splash where he's taking the and where you read that awesome rendition of what he's saying here as he's taking the image of Sinestro. And yeah, here he's that arm that he pulled the shard out of is just limp. Yeah. It's left hand, but but I guess, you know, I've found and we've seen this in previous issues. Once you get a power ring, once you get that one, all internal organs are healed up, all injuries are fine after that, so no need to worry. He's got the power ring on it. It heals him up real quick. Yeah, well, that's the first thing you would do is you would institute the, you know, the, the reconstruction protocol. Oh, yeah. The Lantern Corps that Hal picked is pretty unusual. We see even Isalon and Larvox go, you know, pretty much get taken out pretty quickly. And that it's up to God. The new yellow construct, you know, new yellow constructs coming in and taking all these out. And Oh, some constructs, especially the hands coming out, yeah. pulling them into the ground. That's that's right out of very, me. very you know, evil deadish of it of him. You know, uh, thankfully, you know, he didn't have a tree come and rape one. So that 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 would have happened though if this was written in two thousand and five for sure. Don't don't give the dark one any ideas. <laughs> The fact that, you know, guy flies by and, you know, the weaponer is monologuing on, fight, fight on, he just puts a cork in his mouth. <laughs> you know, the, 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 of course the lanterns go, hey. The Green Lantern is saying, yeah, we've got him on the run. And guy taking the rep for that. You know, Lobo confronts Guy and right. says, that, you know, hey, you, you welched on our deal. And Guy's like, huh? Sorry, sucker. I've got the ring. What are you going to do? Lobo is going to walk slowly away and go, well, yeah, he beat me. No problem. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess I'll go back and feed my dolphins. Pretty much. I'm, I'm certain they need uh, you know, some extra fish. I'll go deal with them. Yeah. John coming to deal with Guy. Unfortunately, John's a bit out of his league here, especially when Guy wangs him into the Guardian Citadel with a Baltimore a slugger. Yes, I, I love the fact that Guy, you know, that that established the fact that Guy is from Baltimore, and that idea 
of you know you know his character and all this and i also love on the bat that he's got the he's finally got his new symbol on it the new symbol yeah well you figure that baltimore when he was growing up was one of the most dangerous cities in america well and that that all leads to you know what we were saying him you know being a social worker and actually yeah. you know originally being a social worker and trying to help out people that just that just states so much more to his character mm-hmm. got the fight Agent, <laughs> move over Cecil Field and move over Babe Ruth. Move over everybody. I am the greatest. Superman and Green Lantern ain't got nothing on me. Uh, uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it, I, I like the fact that they stayed. You know, his final costume or his new costume that they stayed with the jacket with the sort of right. uh, double-breasted buttoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are parts of it that are kind of goofy, like the uh, the brown cowboy boots. But yeah. I think you know, I think at the time, guy was known for the ridiculous boots, especially the big moon boots. Yeah. So I don't mind. You know, it's it's not as iconic as his uh, Green Lantern uniform, but it's close enough to to make you realize that this is Guy Gardner, not some new character. Right. Well, it's got a whole kind of like biker feel to it. Yeah, and that that also probably ties in a lot with the uh, the '90s motif, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the the leather clad, you know, hero, you know, running kicking some ass, which is, I guess, what they kind of wanted guy to be. But yeah, but yeah, it, it, it's it's weird that I, I think that the intention was because remember that we're we're at this point now in the, the early '90s where DC, much like Marvel, was splitting into, like, the subcategories mm-hmm. where you had... They were really trying to grow the different perceived families of titles, and each title had its own editor. Yes. Uh, and I get the impression that initially Guy, Gar- Guy was supposed to be the Rebel Green Lantern. Yes. That- you know, the Maverick Green Lantern, uh, which is why he gets an extra ring here. And it's an interesting concept, but it's like it's a concept, it seems, that... Everybody gets bored with almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it can be taken, you know, it can be taken really well. They just give, you know, just give uh, not the cosmic stories that they would with Hal. Yeah. Just give him stories on Earth where he's having to take out villains, superpowered villains on Earth, and they did that for a while. But yeah, they did seem to get bored with it after a while. And I think it also didn't help that when Guy showed up in other books. I'm thinking specifically of that Justice Society issue and during that short uh, ten-issue run where Alan Scott basically beats the crap out of him. The the writers did not get Guy. Yeah, well, that's that seems to be, you know, a failing of a lot of writers. And unfortunately, aside from Gerard Jones, we won't really see too many writers do a good job with Guy until we get to the to the modern day, yeah. Where you get uh, Pete Tomasi. Yes. Really took the character in the the whole Green Lantern Corps story, or the Green Lantern Corps books, and really got the character right. And then, of course, we got Bo Smith. Oh, well, and Bo Smith did a great job with him, but I think he was also... He was being hindered something fierce by uh, editorial fiat. 
I would not. I, I completely agree with you. I think he was. You know, we discussed this. I think I don't know whether it was off air or not. We might as well discuss it again for everybody's uh, <laughs> edification. Well, that you know, uh, a lot of a lot of these characters tend to get interfered by uh, editorial or by the big entities that are publishing them. Yeah, it dilutes the character down and it takes them away from their actual persona. And, and this this was really prevalent in the '90s, where 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 they took guy who was just basically street level fighter who had an amazing you know power amazing weapon that could do pretty much anything into this beefed up, you know, sort of flesh or flesh T-1000. Yeah, T-1000, yeah. Oh, Lord. Uh, but the, before that, we had the, we had golden slash red armor guy, too. Yeah, well, where, he, where uh, I don't think it's a spoiler, because everyone who reads Green Lantern knows what's, what happens to Hal Jordan, where Hal, yes. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and destroyed decided to basically kill off the uh, rest of the lanterns and that screwed up Guy's ring so Guy still wanted to be hero called up Booster Gold who is I guess armor builder or whoever and the- Booster Gold and Blue Beetle at the time Blue Beetle whose specialty was designing the ugliest armors imaginable <sighs> there's something that <laughs> that that was almost straight out of an image book the ridiculous of that armor but the, mm-hmm. not a Booster Gold podcast yes but yeah, the the character of Guy, uh, you know, he's gone through a lot of iterations, and it's always the it's always the right the right kind of writers who uh, who can define him well that that takes the character in a in a good way. And Gerard Jones, throughout this entire run of Green Lantern, has done Guy really well, and I can't wait to get to you know, his issues where he's doing his solo stuff. Yeah. So, uh, do we have any any last words to say about this? Uh... Well, let me throw this this idea out to you. This was a three issue prestige format miniseries. You and I both agree that, with the exception of maybe two scenes, issue number two was basically filler. True. Do you think that this story would be more would have been more fondly remembered by the ages if, let's say, instead of it being a prestige format miniseries, it was a, a one shot or maybe a uh, floppy one-shot a la the Justice League Spectacular that they did to transition from the Bwahaha Legion to Bwahaha Legion Bwahaha League to the the Dan Jurgens the Dan Jurgens slash Gerard Jones uh, Justice League that followed that's that's an interesting idea and I've, I've thought on that you know for a while and say it might have been because yeah the the second issue of this book is as much as i like these issues and i like covering guy gardner right the second issue of this book was pretty much filler aside from hey kids lobo yeah lobo's here to beat the crap out of people raw you know aside from the part where guy gets introspective right about you know uh why he's doing this that second issue doesn't really add much to the story aside from having, you know, a bunch of violence and, you know, fighting going on, punchy, punchy, run, run. So it may have done better if it were just a giant, like 64 page, uh, you know, super special. Or like Green Lantern annual number, whatever. Yeah. And this, this, you know, 
was a big one shot that led into the Guy Gardner solo series. Or, or an issue. So I keep bringing up the or an issue of Green Lantern Quarterly. Yeah. No. Uh, see, I I need to go back and try and pick up some of those Green Lantern Quarterlies. Mm-hmm. I didn't collect those at the time, but uh, I've heard that you know uh, I I was looking at some of them on uh, on a wiki page for them, and you know they've got they've got some interesting stories in them, and I guess that's where Alan Scott was kind of brought back into the uh, and became Sentinel, yeah. So uh, I may have to go and look into those. I don't. It's a strange series because unlike the other quarterlies, which quickly degenerated into dumping. Um, a dumping ground for um, inventory. Yeah. Stuff like uh, Green, like Justice League Quarterly, which it kind of retained its uh, what you call it, its anthology format to the bitter end, where you would have about three to four issue stories, and one would be about some cat. Yeah, you know, one would be about Alan Scott. One would be about basically a Tales of the Lantern Corps. And uh, but the thing was is. You know, it, it died along with everything else when the booms finally fell out. Yes. Well, and it also unfortunately had to die when, I guess, DC decided to, you know, make the big change with the main Green Lantern character. Yeah. Happened. You know, I, I keep dancing. Everyone knows what happens. But yeah. Just. Yeah, yeah. That, that that you know, we all know what happened when uh, Hal had to to. Uh, uh, foment a rebellion against the Guardians who was doing something bad, and eventually there was a split of the... No, sorry, that's not what actually happened. Although that's what was supposed to happen. I think a more interesting storyline, but, you know, unfortunately we had to have Hal become the ultimate villain of the DC Universe and try and reform everything in his own way to, I guess, retcon continuity again, but... Which messed up everything because... Uh, see, I wonder what would have happened if instead of them going this way with Hal going insane, they went ahead and did something where Hal just retired for good and the ring passed on to Kyle Rayner. Mm-hmm. Would we have gone through that whole heat business? I don't know. I don't know if you know people would still be calling for you know Hal to be back. I think, I think we probably... You know, I think probably wouldn't have because he would have had his run he and then it's the thing that dc was doing so well mm-hmm. especially with another one of their major characters the wally west flash was they were promoting the idea that characters could grow old could either die or retire and the legacy would still live on and the thing that's really frustrating is that if you go back and read the ron mars issues that feature hal jordan in some way Mars had a it had some interesting insights into the character, which make me almost wish that there was a situation like an alternate timeline, if you will, where Hal was sane and was basically Kyle's mentor, where Hal was kind of training was basically Sinestro training Kyle as Sinestro trained Hal. I think that would have been that an amazing storyline, and it it would have pleased a lot more people than what they had to do with Hal or what, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's the, the road not taken. So but we will never, we will never find out, but getting back to guy. Yes. And the roads that he had to take after this, this mini series. Well, and he had to, you know, you know, we're, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into, you know, uh, him having to learn how to use the ring. Mm-hmm. Going to get him 
finally being able to go after Goldface and not have to worry about, you know, oh, my ring doesn't affect yellow armor. Yes. Uh, you know, eventually we're going to get into the Bo Smith run, which wonderfully starts out with the idea of Guy being just this sort of, what you call them, two-fisted man of action. Two-fisted man of action, punching dinosaurs in the nose. Punching Nazi dinosaurs in the nose. Once again, I would love to see, because uh, there was a, I'm trying to remember the name of the podcast. There was a podcast, it was a Green Lantern-based podcast that interviewed Bo Smith. Um, it might have been the Green Lantern Core podcast. Oh, it might have been. I, I remember I, I, I stopped listening to them very quickly after that issue where they inter, they reviewed it one, uh, one of those like books about like the, the tales of the core. Mm-hmm. Remember that they did that just before Blackest Night. They did that like three issue miniseries with different like anthology stories about different Green Lantern, different lanterns throughout the the spectrum. Yes, and they were reviewing the issue with the Ariza story, and that was the last issue I last episode I listened to because the review degenerated into one of the readers just. One of the reviewers just screaming, spank me, spank me, spank me, over and over again. You know, I don't mind being juvenile every once in a while. In fact, you know, I tend to do it every once in a while just to poke fun at some stuff and that'll... Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's... There's a line. Yeah. But the Bo Smith interview, if you you can find it, is really interesting because he goes into great depth about what he was intending to do with Guy. Well, and you can see, uh, in reading it, you can see some of the seeds of what he was wanting. Yeah. Introducing the the secondary characters like Lady Blackhawk and uh, mm-hmm. Buck Wargo. You know, and he was he was going to make him a sort of adventurer. Right. I, and then there was the, the, the most intriguing seed to me was the fact that he, had, he made a really good argument for it, the idea that Guy and Wonder Woman were really good friends. Mm-hmm. He's like, they kind of recognized something in each other, and they really had a respect and like for each other, and he said it was going to lead to a storyline where, for some sort of purpose, they had to fake being married to each other. That would have been completely and totally awesome, because I can actually, more so than the the stereotypical Wonder Woman and Superman thing, yeah. see Wonder Woman and Guy together. I can see them sort of clicking. That but so, but that never was to be because instead they decided to make guy half alien, yes, and which totally kind of invalidates what makes him interesting. Mm-hmm. Be- because it is it's it's his humanity and his his actual you know it, it's his it, well no it's his humanity it's, him yeah. it's not the fact that he's some last of his alien species that. Can, Voldarvian or something like that? Voldavian? Darian, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And they gave him a totally generic hero name. Yes. Warrior. Oh. Warrior, yeah. And, uh... Tattoos. Tattoos. Lots and lots and lots and lots of tattoos. But, again, it wouldn't be the 90s. It's the tattoos. Guy with tattoos, so... But, yeah, that pretty much does it for, for my notes... Thomas, thank you ever so much for being on the show. Uh, go ahead. Why don't you? Come on. I love talking about the, about Guy. You know that. 
Well, uh, you know, if if you would like to, I will see uh, about time when we get to ready to do the uh, Bo Smith stuff. If you'd like to come back and talk about that, I would love to. Uh, go ahead and plug uh, where people can find you on the internet, Tom. Okay. Um, as previously mentioned, my best friend Derek Ferguson and I host the bi-weekly uh, podcast Better in the Dark at the Earth2.net uh, network of podcasts where it's just two guys from Brooklyn talking about movies and comics and basically because we get distracted like cats with shiny objects dangled in front of them um, at least three or four times a, a day. Um, also, I host not as often as I used to, unfortunately, because I've been focusing on my writing. DJ Comics Cavalcade. I hope to get two more episodes out between now and the end of September because, you know, the annual October Scarefest is coming. Yeah. Which means, you know, I think we're up to Phantom Stranger number five in, in our uh, continuing look at the Phantom Stranger and the dick that is Dr. Terrence 13. <laughs> Nice. Um, and that's, those are both available through www.earth-2.net. I do run a couple of blogs, Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears, or some, some people like to affectionately refer to it, who it is, Die Die, <laughs> um, where, yeah, I put this thing called Ten Statements About, where I just take a movie or a TV show and just give ten random statements. Which and- some- and if, if I may say, they are always insightful and frequently humorous. I, uh, I even that one, that one, and I forget which movie it was, where I just started by saying "fuck this movie." That was that Shark Night. No, 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 no. I love those. No, see, Shark Knife is a stupid movie, but I loved it because it is so stupid and revels in it. See, uh, it upsets me that Shark Knight didn't at least have the guts to go the Piranha 3 or the Piranha 3D. Because well, it was, it, it was, it wanted to be Piranha 3D, but it wanted to be, get the PG-13 because that's, because the teams will come out. Yeah. Which is why, yes, we did not get to see McPhee stripped naked. Which is incredibly disappointing. Yeah. Oh, oh tell me about it. Tell me about it. The, the, the present, she's like, you know, like how, uh, you know, in Miss America, there's always a Miss America, and there's always like a Miss America elect, mm-hmm. in case Miss America can no longer uh, carry on her... <laughs> Whatever. You know, there's the beautiful one. Anybody who knows better in dark knows who I'm talking about. And there has to be a beautiful one elect, and right now McPhee is the beautiful one elect. Yes. So, uh, there's also uh, Sing Along Scriptures, which is my music blog. Um, and... Uh, the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcome to nocturne.blogspot.com where you can learn about the my upcoming first novel, New Roads to Hell, and see really cool artwork and uh, read interviews about other people who are writing superhero prose fiction and other things. Awesome. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Thomas. And I promise I will punch a dinosaur in the face one day. We can always look for that. <laughs> that is the highest thing you can aspire to. Thomas, again, thank you so much for showing up on the show. It's a pleasure. It, it, giving, a, giving the show a, a bit of gravitas. 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 Of course it's got gravitas. It's about the greatest Green Lantern that ever lived. It's true. 
Guy Gardner is filled with gravitas. Oh, I mean, I, I love the fact, as much as we don't like him, I have to give Jeff Johns credit for two things. One, for creating Dexter, the Rage Kitty. Yes. Who is your Skype icon, and I... Who is my Skype icon, because, of course, apparently Dexter, the Rage Kitty, decided that he needed somebody to hang out with in, in, uh, on Earth when he didn't want to hang out with Atrocitus, and I got chosen. I don't know how. Awesome. And secondly, because when he brought back Guy Gardner, and Guy Gardner got his ring, he had him slipping it on the middle finger, pointing it directly at the Guardians. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Okay. Well, at least, at least you know, I guess, you know, it's the whole clock is right twice a day. You know, yeah, exactly. Well, Jeff Johns gets something right. Well, Tom... He had in the middle finger. That's what he got <laughs> Thomas, always a pleasure to have you on. I'm glad to talk to you, and I hope I get to talk to you again. Well, we, we're going to do some more, I'm sure, when we get deeper into the, the Guy Gardner series. Well, that's it, folks. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is an extra long episode, but, you know, I think it was more than well worth it. So... We'll catch you next week on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Take care. Good night. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engle. All images, stories, and music are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot Libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read it on the next show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account on Facebook. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was No More Mr. Nice Guy by the legendary Alice Cooper off his album, Billion Dollar Babies. If you want, you can go to iTunes and download the song or download the album, but I know, you being clever shoppers, you'll definitely go to the Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.lipson.com, click on the Amazon banner at the top of the page, go and download the song, download the album, or buy the CD, or buy a myriad of other Amazon fun and good things. Because they are fun and good, not only are they fun and good, but they also provide a small amount of money to make sure that the Two True Freaks website will be up and running until Hal Jordan is no longer considered the most awesome Green Lantern by Jeff Johns. 
An extra special thanks goes out this time to Mr. Thomas DJ. We had some issues, unfortunately, the first time around. We lost the podcast, and the second time around, as you could kind of hear from this episode, some of the audio went out. I tried to recover as much of audio as I could, but it's not perfect. But what is perfect was Thomas DJ and his submission to this podcast. I can't thank him enough, and I can't wait to work with him again. Go check out all his sites and all his works. He is a wonderful and a great, great man.